Welcome to the Distance Sports Podcast. I'm John Newton, and we're about to go all the way with sports around the world. I'm joined by two of the best riders at the distance, Olin Hayes. Hello, John. And Noah Zimmerman. It's good to be here. Let's take a look at today's lineup. Olin, take us through it. Well, we're going to start off with the World Series. Game one was last night with the Indians winning 6-0. We're going to review what happened last night and preview the rest of the series to come, see if the Indians can keep it going or if the Cubs can turn it around. Uh, we're going to talk about the opening night of the NBA. Three games on the slate, Cavaliers winning, Warriors getting shut down. We're going to go to the MLS. Playoffs just about to start. We'll go through our predictions for those games. And finally, I'm going to say a few words about the great career of Arian Foster, which ended yesterday. A career cut too short and plenty of action to look forward to in this podcast and this evening as the MLS playoffs ramp up. But let's take a look at the World Series. In game one, the Cubs managed seven hits but failed to cross home plate. Olin, what went wrong for the Cubs? It's hard to say. It seems on the surface that everything went right. They had seven hits. They had a lot of walks as well. Uh, they loaded the bases in the seventh inning, had two runners on in the eighth inning, and they just couldn't get anything across. Uh, Corey Kluber was spectacular. Eight, shutout, eight strikeouts in the first three innings, six shutout innings overall. And he pitched to one batter in the seventh and gave up a hit, and they went to Andrew Miller to shut the door. Andrew Miller did not slam the door initially. He let two more people on base and loaded the bases with nobody out, then wriggled his way out of it with a short fly ball and two strikeouts. Did the same thing in the eighth, a walk and a hit, allowing two runners on and then getting some more clutch strikeouts to keep the game scoreless. At this point, the game was only 3 nothing. Definitely could have gone either way. The hero for the Indians on the offensive side, a lot of great hitters, actually. Eight of the nine players reached base at some point. Everyone except Jason Kipnis was on base at some point in the game. But Francisco Lindor was 3-4. for four. Jose Ramirez was also 3-4. for four. And catcher Roberto Perez hit two home runs, including a clutch three-run shot in the eighth inning to put them up 6 nothing, which would be the final score. So Noah, Olin mentioned Schwarber and his impact now that he's back on the roster, but what impact will he have on the rest of the series? You know, it's really interesting to see. Schwarber was put on the DL out for the entire season very early on, and he hasn't faced any major league pitching in a long, long time. He came back yesterday, first time looking at major league pitching, and he hit the ball pretty well. I think that he'll be able to put up some nice numbers, especially when the series goes back to Chicago. He's a very talented hitter, still pretty young, and I think that he's going to have a massive impact on the rest of the series. Well, I think the issue, uh, the question with Schwarber, he was DHing. He DHed this game. He's going to DH tonight in game two, and uh, we don't know if he's ready to play the field yet. So that could be a big question mark once they go back to Chicago and play with NL rules and play without a DH. Uh, we, we don't know if Schwarber is going to be able to play the outfield. Certainly not going to be able to catch, but it's going to be interesting to see if they want him to play in the field. You say his impact is going to be a lot bigger in game two than it would be in three and four. Well, it depends. I think his impact is just as big all around if he plays, but I wonder if they're actually going to have him play if once, once they go back to Chicago and he can't DH anymore. And he's definitely a morale boost as well. What we're going to look at right now is the pitching matchups in the games that we know are coming, games 2, 3, and 4. Obviously, games 5, 6, and 7 may or may not be played at this point, but we're only going to look at what we know. Game 2, probable pitching matchups. Arietta versus Bauer. Game 3 over in Chicago, Tomlin versus Hendricks. And Game 4, Kluber versus Lackey. Fellas, Game 2, Arietta versus Bauer. Which team wins and why? Uh, I mean, I think that Arietta is the better pitcher. I don't think that necessarily means the Cubs win the game, but I think they do have the edge in the pitching matchup. Right. And I think that's going to be something they need to exploit in this series, is that they have a deeper rotation. Uh, I mean, you just mentioned Kluber is going to start Game 4. He just started Game 1. They just announced he's going to start Game 4 on three days rest because they really just don't have an alternative. Whereas the Cubs, I mean, John Lackey as your four starter, that's pretty spectacular. So we'll see if Kluber can pitch on short rest, and we'll see if the other two Indians pitchers can, can hold up their end of the deal. I mean, when you look at the Cubs pitching, you see a lot of talent. You see great pitchers. But even so, John Lester gave up uh, enough runs to end up losing the game last night. And I think that the way the Indians are playing, they can probably continue to put up numbers against very talented pitching. If you look at what they've done through the entire playoffs so far, they've just been playing great baseball. They swept the Red Sox, almost swept the Blue Jays, and now they're out here in the World Series playing great baseball. 
And I think that is one thing. They were not tested against good pitching early in the playoffs. The Red Sox did not have good pitching. The Blue Jays did not have good pitching. So that was one of the question marks coming in, but they really proved themselves in game one. They put up three runs on on, uh, Lester and knocked him out before six innings, then put up three more runs on the bullpen. So uh, they played a great game all around. The Indians had solid offense the entire day. Uh, They put up ten hits, a lot of walks, just on base constantly against really solid pitching. I think it's unanimous in the room that we all think Arietta is the better pitcher, the better starting pitcher. But does Chicago have the bullpen to back him up and get over the line in game two? Well, I think the Indians have the better bullpen. I think despite his uh, charades last night, Andrew Miller might be the best reliever in baseball right now. Uh, the Cubs do have a solid bullpen. Pedro Strope, or oldest Chapman. Obviously, there's are great relievers. Chapman throws harder than anyone I've ever seen, that's for sure. And... Uh, but the Indians overall have had the better bullpen so far. And so the Cubs, if they can get the lead, might be able to hold it. But I think the issue for them is if they're behind, they're in a lot of trouble. If they're behind against Andrew Miller, Cody Allen, etc., it's it's really pretty much over for them. Who's winning game two, fellas? I think the Indians might take this one. Uh, despite how good Arietta is, I think the Indians, their bats are just on fire. I think their bullpen has just been phenomenal. I, I agree. I think Indians, low-scoring game, I think probably 2-1, 3-2, something like that. Bauer is not as dominant as Kluber, but I think Trevor Bauer, assuming his finger has recovered from the drone incident, I think he will be definitely good enough. And these, these Indians' bats are definitely enough to at least put up a couple of runs, just a couple of hits here and there, maybe a home run, even with a pitcher like Arietta. Game 3, the World Series returns to Wrigley Field, National League ballpark. Different rules, different atmosphere altogether out in Chicago. Tomlin versus Hendricks, game three. What do you think? How's the National League Park going to change this, this matchup? Well, I think the, uh, the pitching matchup is the most important thing. Mike Tomlin is not at the level of the rest of the pitchers in this series. He's solid, but he's not definitely not at the level of Kluber or Bauer and nowhere near the level of the Cubs pitchers. I mean, Hendricks was talked about as a Cy Young candidate all year. Uh, but as you said, at the National League Park... I think that is relevant to both teams. Uh, both lose their DH. Their DHs were Schwarber and Carlos Santana. Those are two of the best hitters on each team. Santana didn't get any hits, but he did walk twice, and he's always a scary bat at the plate. And for the Indians to either lose his bat or have to put him in the field where he can be kind of shaky, and even if they do, he's a catcher or a first baseman, and then they lose Napoli, who is a great clutch hitter, as he's proven over and over again, or Perez, who hit two home runs in Game 1. So the National League Park could have a pretty negative influence on both offenses. I think also the park goes way beyond just the loss of the DH. Chicago is really hyped up for this World Series, as is Cleveland, and I think the atmosphere at the park is just going to go miles to give the Cubs a huge boost, and I think that as soon as they reach Wrigley, the series is going to take a massive twist. Who's, who's going to win Game 3? I think the Cubs. I agree. I think the Indians definitely have a shot to take some games at Wrigley, uh, but not with this pitching matchup, not with the first World Series game in Chicago in however many years. It's been a long time. So we'll do something most prognosticators never do. We'll pretend that we're right up to this point. (laughs) Cubs down 2-1. They're hosting game four. Kluber probably back from short rest he'll face John Lackey. Oh, that's that's tough. That's going to be a pitcher's duel. Uh, Lackey, especially with the crowd behind him, he know, he's a veteran. He has experience in these situations. He won Game 7 of the World Series back when he was a rookie in 2 with the Angels. So Lackey definitely knows how to pitch in clutch situations. He knows you know, what he needs to do. But at the same time, Kluber is an incredible pitcher. We saw it last night. He's definitely one of the best pitchers in the league. Might be the best individual pitcher in this series, although the Cubs have four who are almost at his level. So it, Low-scoring game, definitely. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really great game to watch. It's going to be phenomenal on both offensive and defensive sides. I think it's going to be fantastic to watch all of these pitchers, all of these hitters. And honestly, I think that this might be the, the one game where the Indians start to take control. I think in such a pressured situation like this one, might start to get out of hand for the young, young guys on the Cubs. I think it's going to be really troubling to watch some of them step up to the challenge. Some of them might be able to, but I don't think they'll be able to pull it off. 
I think that's an interesting thing you just mentioned there, uh, the youth of the Cubs. The Indians, I think, have a very good mix. Uh, I mean, I mentioned Lackey being a veteran leader on the Cubs, but a lot of their lineup, especially on, on the offensive side, very young, very inexperienced, and obviously no playoff experience other than last year where they didn't make the World Series. So uh, the Indians, I mean, they've got, they've got young guys like Lindor, they've got young guys like Perez, but at the same time, they've got veterans. They've got guys like Napoli who have been around for a long time. They've got guys like Geyer and Chisenhall who have been around for long enough that they know what they're doing. And even if they don't have playoff experience, they have a lot of major league experience. And it's a lot more than anyone in the Cubs except David Ross. So we're saying it should be a 3-1 Indians lead after four games. I think so. I think Kluber outduels Lackey. Uh, another low-scoring game. I don't think this is going to be a very offensive series. Um I mean, I think Kluber on short rest is a question mark. We, have, I, we haven't seen him pitch on short rest very much, certainly on three days rest, and it's always interesting to see what, how pitchers react to you know, being forced out of their routine. But the way he stepped up in game one, he understands how to pitch under pressure. Six shutout innings, eight strikeouts within three innings. I think he doesn't even have to be that good to win game four. Uh, Lackey is a great pitcher, but not... A dominant pitcher at the level of Kluber. I think Indians win 3-2, 3-1, something like that. Yeah, if you look at Kluber, I think he's phenomenal. He definitely can step up, but I think, again, with the short rest, he's not going to go too far into the game. And given pretty much any other team besides the Indians, this would be a great sign for the Cubs going into the game. However, the bullpen coming out to back him up might prove a bit too much for this young Cubbies offense. Assuming Andrew Miller is back, ready to go, uh, I mean, he's, he's just untouchable. He, he had his worst outing of the postseason yesterday, and he still went two scoreless innings. So he, he's able to wriggle himself out of that kind of jam when he clearly didn't have his best stuff. His slider looked great, but his fastball looked terrible last night. So assuming his fastball looks just a little bit better, he'll be untouchable. They'll go up 3-1, the Indians. Will they close it out? 5-6-7, doesn't matter. Can they finish it? Yes, at some point, yes. I think they will. Uh, I do believe that the series will go back to Cleveland. I think the Cubs will be able to hold their ground uh, and force Game 6, but I think Game 6 might be as far as this one goes. I think that uh, you take away home field advantage. You, you look at Game 5, you have the Cubs playing against not Kluber. We don't know who it is. We don't know if it'll be Bauer on short rest or someone else, but you have the Cubs facing someone who isn't Kluber at home. I think they win that game. But uh, I think you go to six or seven, you give Cleveland two shots to win it at home, presumably with Kluber pitching a potential game seven against probably Hendricks. I'd give the Indians a big edge in that game if it gets that far. And I think if you give them two chances to close it out at home, it's not even a question. We're saying the Indians are going to get it done. Speaking of Cleveland, let's head over to the hardwood as Believe Land is a dominating sporting city right now as the Cavaliers get their championship rings and welcome the championship banner in style with a 29-point victory over the New York Knicks, who did not look like a super team last night. That's for sure. Are they a super team? No. God, no. <laughs> Augie Vandeveer says they'll barely make the playoffs. Well, Augie knows more about basketball than I do, but I, I can tell you with my knowledge that he is right. I can't. I can't see them being a dominant force. I can't see Rose staying healthy. Uh, you know, there's just there's too many question marks. They didn't seem to gel together very well last night. Porzingis five fouls. Mello five fouls. Just a lot of problems overall. Porzingis was really good for three point land. Like you said, they both got into some foul trouble. But if if D Rose wants to call this a super team, him and Carmelo need to do much better than four turnovers each and minus 19 ratings. Yeah. But that is LeBron James' 43rd career NBA triple-double, and that party in Cleveland will continue as the Cavs will attend World Series Game 2. That ought to be exciting. I think they'll see a good show. The Blazers look very good as Damian Lillard's season-high and league-high 39 points are enough to top the Jazz as both teams, very strange stat, combined to hit 38 of 38 their free throws. I don't think I've ever seen that before. A combined sure 100%. Happened, that's, that's pretty crazy. Joe Johnson shot 75% last night, including three out of four trays, but his team failed to match that high standard. Rudy Gobert was good and grabbed 14 boards in 41 minutes, but the Jazz bench was outclassed by the Blazers' reserves. 
You take a look at guys like 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 Trey Lyles, Dante Exum, double digit minuses in the game, single digit scoring. It's a bad combination. It's 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 never a <laughs> good a combination. Good Favors had a bone bruise on his left knee, did not play in this one. Plumley did not look good for the Blazers, but like like I said, the bench of Portland was exceptional. And that is what carried them to a nine-point victory over the Jazz. Well, and Lillard says he wants to be MVP. He's making his case so far. After one night. I can't imagine he's going to do it. But, you know, good start. He's almost 2% there on the road to MVP. <laughs> After one night, he looked like the MVP. He was last night's MVP. He was last night's MVP, definitely. Outscored LeBron. You want a ribbon for that? or? Uh, yeah, congratulations. Get he gets, you got, he, he got a shout-out on the show, and, and that's yeah. worth more than any trophy. <laughs> Definitely. Speaking of good benches last night, the San Antonio Spurs, not only did they have a stellar bench, which we'll get into in a few seconds, they shot 50% from beyond the arc to spoil the Warriors' return to Oracle, the only road team to get a victory last night. Kawhi Leonard, speaking of 100% free throws in the previous game, 15 for 15 if you don't mind. But the Splash Brothers, a terrible 4 for 16 from 3. And terrible by their standards. Five shots, it's not good anyway. From three. Like, that's I mean, 25% different. is it's not good for anyone. Certainly for people who are famous for shooting three-pointers, it's definitely a question mark. The Splash Brothers were like the Brick Brothers in this one. <laughs> the Spurs bench. You, you would think losing Tim Duncan is such a valuable piece, but it's always been such a well-knit team. Patty Mills, plus 35. Deadman plus 29. Simmons, plus 33. And 20 points to go along with it. 3 for 5 from 3 in just 28 minutes. These guys are efficient. They're deep. And is a threat to go a long way in the Western Conference playoffs. Definitely. They're a threat to beat the Warriors. I mean, the Warriors, they had a positive. They did beat the Warriors. Yeah. I mean, I mean in the playoffs. I mean, right, I, I right, think right. They, have, they have the team. They have the depth to get all the way. And... At least make the finals, if not give Cleveland a run for their money there. Massive confidence boost for the rest of their season. Yeah. Huge. I think the the Spurs are a real example of a team. There aren't too many left in the NBA, honestly. But if you look at the depth that the Spurs have, if you look at their coaching, Popovich is an absolute genius. And he, the way he is able to command his team, the way that all these veteran players and all these young guys are able to work together is unbelievable and I think they might have a great great season looking at the Warriors Andre Godala former finals MVP let's not forget that played 27 minutes the only player on the bench with more than two assists but he only had three shots two of them threes that did not find the mark did not get to the free throw line at all and a minus 28 rating for a player who's supposed to be an elite defender that was the second worst on the team they, the Warriors had a positive dip point differential when all four of their supposed big four were on the court. And other than that, when any of them were off, they had a negative differential. And that's that really goes to show the depth of the Spurs versus the depth of the Warriors. I mean, the Warriors, you can't have four players play the entire game. And as soon as any of those four players left, the Warriors collapsed last night. Just in case any of you guys were wondering, Kevin Durant did make his first regular season start in Oracle. 37 minutes, 11 for 18, not bad. He looks pretty good, actually. Did get, did get a double-double, but no offensive boards. All the offensive boards, not all of them, most of them, were taken by Draymond Green. And that's that's one positive for him to take away. But Draymond Green, here's an award. First technical foul of the season. If anyone is surprised, you are wrong. <laughs> well done to Draymond Green already getting that tally <laughs> he's got he's got one a game at this point. You know he's going to lead the league. Well. It's, it's not even a question. He, will, he might lead the league in technical fouls this year. How many games will he miss by suspension? That should be the Vegas question. Eh, I'd say three or four. Then the odds makers. <laughs> Let's hope he doesn't kick anybody in this season. Yeah, I can't imagine that he won't. It really cost his team. And Absolutely. I, I'm saying like that was – if you had to pick one reason why – the Warriors did not win the championship besides like not scoring the last five and a half minutes of Game 7. Yeah, that would do besides it. Besides that. Like, like, but yeah, Draymond getting himself suspended. Draymond getting himself suspended was Absolutely. the number two reason the Warriors did not 
You, you can even make runs. an argument it's number one. I mean, they they wouldn't have gotten it that w- far. That's true. That's you true. wouldn't have had to play that game. That is the number you one. You wouldn't even have had to play game seven if he didn't continue to kick people in the certain area. So, yeah, not a good not a good look. We're gonna take a break, but when we come back, we will preview not only today and tomorrow's action in MLS. We will also look at the entire bracket, and we're gonna we're gonna tell you in advance. Spoiler alert. Who is going to win the MLS Cup? Stay tuned. Welcome back. We'd like to remind you that you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the distance dot sports blog. And invite your friends to like us on Facebook as well. You can follow each of us on Twitter at Stretch Newton. I am at PurpleHaze37. Hayes spelled like my last name, H-A-Y-E-S. At L underscore NinjaCat. You can follow me on Instagram at StretchNewton2. And check me out on Periscope at StretchNewton for live broadcasts and replays. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to our pod and leave a review of what you enjoy. Gentlemen, it's time for something that doesn't happen often in the world of club soccer playoffs it's a very american concept especially in major league soccer it's always fun to watch and that's why this league is so exciting and so 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 american fc dallas and tim howard's colorado rapids earn first round buys in the west while both new york squads have a free pass to the eastern conference semifinals A reminder that these first-round games are only one leg, while the conference semis and conference finals are played over two legs. Tonight, Toronto hosts Philadelphia Union in what could be the only MLS playoffs game this year north of the border. And the LA Galaxy hosts Real Salt Lake. Tomorrow, we have Montreal at D.C. and Seattle, who earned home field advantage by one point as they play Sporting Kansas City. We're going to go through each of those contests and preview the entire bracket for what should be a very exciting competition. Y'all ready to do it? Let's do it. Absolutely. Let's get stuck into it. Game one on the slate. Toronto versus Philadelphia. No, Philadelphia is a team that really came out of nowhere this season. Nobody really expected them to do as well as they did. But they've been scoring goals, they've been winning games, and they managed to pick up the last playoff spot in the East. For a while they were running in the top three in the East, but they cooled off a little bit, fell back down, but they still ended above the red line. Uh, We also have Toronto, who proudly have easily probably the best player in the league, Sebastian Javinko, who plays second in assists this season and also tied for third in the Golden Boot Race, probably to be this league's MVP for 2016. I think it's going to be a great game, but Toronto's going to pull off an easy win. They're playing at home, they're playing with their fans, and they're playing a team that has proven that while they can win sometimes, they might not be strong enough for this postseason. Owen, do you agree? Definitely. I think the Union are... Pretty clear underdogs right here. Uh, I think we've got Toronto, one of the best teams in the league right now, just narrowly missed a bye, a uh, little bit behind NYCFC. Uh, but Toronto, as as Noah mentioned, Giovinco, probably the best player in the league right now. Um, just an all-around threat. They've got so many other good players to compliment him as well. I don't really see them having too much trouble here. And the late-night game over on the West Coast, the LA Galaxy hosting Real Salt Lake. Well, Real Salt Lake is a team that came... Similarly to the Union in the sense that they weren't doing too well, but they did enough. They got results. They proved that they deserve to be in the playoffs. But they're up against the Galaxy, the most successful team in MLS history. They're up against tons of great players. Landon Donovan came back. He's going to be in the playoffs, and I think L.A. wins this one easily, probably by... A pretty decent scoreline too. Again, I agree. I don't think there's a whole lot of question in this. LA is definitely the better team. 
Uh, anytime you've got such a low scoring scoring sport with a one game play in, it's it's always a little bit unpredictable. But LA definitely has a far superior team. Uh, just so much star power combined with a good overall deep team. Whereas you know they just really don't see that too much anywhere in this league. We're picking both three seeds over the six seeds in the first round. And let's check out tomorrow's contest. D.C. against Montreal. Montreal lost 3-0 to New England last week, and that's why they'll be traveling to America's capital instead of hosting. But Didier Drogba will not play. His back injury is too great to make an impact. Very clever. For the Montreal impact, folks. I mean, obviously, not having Drogba, massive, massive loss for the impact. But I don't personally think that's going to stop them too much. They have Ignacio Piatti, who is another fantastic player in this league. A great use of the designated player spot by Montreal, just as Toronto did with Seba. And I think that by using star with Ignacio Piatti and also Dominic Orduro, I think that they're going to be able to put up some good numbers against D.C., even if they're traveling. D.C. has been good. They have Patrick Mullins, who came over from NYCFC halfway through the season. He's been putting on a clinic against other teams, but I don't think it will be enough to get past Montreal. Uh, I think this is going to be a very close game, definitely a lot closer than the other two we've mentioned so far. Uh, I agree with Noah. I would lean towards Montreal, but I definitely think this game could go either way. Uh, I mean, these are two solid teams all around, especially without Drogba, you don't really have that one star player who could turn it around. Piatti's a great player, but so is Mullins, and so are a lot of players on D.C. Uh, I would lean towards Montreal, a little bit deeper, a little bit stronger on offense. Uh, can see this going either way, though. Tonight does seem like the undercard for what should be a lot a lot closer games tomorrow night. Definitely. But are, are, we, are we taking Montreal on the road? I think so. I'm willing to say that Montreal is a very strong team and can easily get a win. It's going to be close, but they'll pull it off. No Drogba, no problem. We'll see if that holds true. And the final game of the first round, Seattle one point over Sporting Kansas City to host home field advantage. Well, Seattle's the only Cascadia team to make it to the postseason. The Vancouver Whitecaps didn't make it. Portland Timbers didn't make it either. Narrowly. Uh, but they also picked up a massive, massive loss. Clint Dempsey is not ready to be in the postseason, and it's going to prove very difficult for them to pull off very much. That being said, I still think that they have the star power. They have the ability to win the one game against Kansas City. Dominic Dwyer for sporting, great player, probably going to score a goal. He's very good at what he does. Sporting Kansas City is a great team, but I think that Seattle might be able to edge this one out by one goal. Probably not too high scoring, but it's not going to be clean sheets either way. This is the first time we're going to disagree on this. I'm going to pick Sporting here. Uh, I think Seattle has a solid team, but Dempsey is a big loss. Uh, this is a team that's definitely reliant on him to some degree. They've got a good team overall, but when you've got a player that good, it's really a big loss when you have them out. Sporting, I mean, as he mentioned, Dwyer, a great striker, but you've also got some other great players around. You've got Failhaber, you've got Beisler. You've got a lot of star players, a lot of the best players in the MLS. Uh, Tim Melia has asserted himself as a really good goalie this year. He has repeatedly been one of the best goalies in the league, and I think Sporting has just enough firepower, just enough team chemistry combined with the star power. I think they get it by one goal, maybe two to one, something like that. No, I'm going to ask you ask you a question about Dempsey. I don't know what kind of information you have among among the MLS writers, but but what's Dempsey's timetable for return? Is is he done for the, not not going to feature in the playoffs whatsoever? Could he potentially come back next week? I think it's a pretty gray area from what I've seen so far, but I don't really think that he's going to feature in this postseason. There might be a chance that he comes to show if they get past Sporting, but. I don't think it's very likely. And the winner of this contest gets FC Dallas, by the way. Well, I think that makes it largely irrelevant. But <laughs> regardless, I'm going to stick to sporting. sporting we have to pick a, a winner, team. guys. Let's, let's get some debate going. I mean, if, if you look at Seattle, they have a lot of players who have stepped up in the loss of Clint Dempsey. Morris 
is young, but he's also been scoring a lot of goals. He's proven that he deserves to be in the first team, and he's done a phenomenal job so far. He has a lot of beautiful goals, many of them up for Goal of the Week nominations, and I think that he might prove to be what sets them apart from Sporting Kansas City. Personally, I I think Morris is a great player. Uh, I don't think he has the experience. Uh, he's obviously a very skilled player. I think the issue is he has very little experience, obviously no playoff experience, whereas the sporting team has a lot of people who have been on their team for a long time now and a lot of people who were on the team when they won the Cup a couple years ago. And these people know how to do it. They've been there before. Uh, and I think Melia is a better goalie than Stefan Fry. Fry has been spectacular at times, but also very shaky sometimes, just not as consistent of a goalie as Tim Melia. Melia is fantastic in goal. I think that he's going to prove to be one of the players that really makes this game as close as it's going to be. Uh, and another thing that might make this game such a great contest is the atmosphere. Uh, it was down to the wire who would be hosting this game, uh, and Seattle pulled off the home field advantage by one point, and I think that's going to come up huge. Seattle has a massive stadium that they fill with very loud, very passionate fans. It will be interesting to see how many visiting supporters from Kansas City might end up showing up, but I think the fact that it is in Seattle might have a lot of impact on this game overall. These are the same crazy fans that go to the Seattle Seahawks games, but because of Seattle's inexperience and their big outs and occasional goalkeeping inconsistency, I'm going to have to break the tie. A split decision to Sporting <laughs> KC, and that leaves us with eight teams. We'll start in the East. Two against three seeds. NYCFC taking on Toronto. Yeah, well, New York City is truly one of the fun teams to watch this season. Only their second year in the league and they managed to get above that red line. They managed to get all the way up into second place and secure the bye for the first round. That's going to come up in an unbelievable spot for them. But I think that their opponent, which would be Toronto, is going to be very difficult for them to beat. They do play two legs, and NYC does have one of the best away records in the MLS this season, and that could provide a couple away goals in the first leg Maybe enough to secure passage through to the Eastern Conference Final, but I'm just not sure. Toronto has massive ability, and the two teams seem to be very evenly matched. I can't wait to watch these games. I'm going to be in New York City on November 6th for the second leg in the supporters section, and I'm very excited to see who takes this one home. I would definitely. I'm definitely a little biased here. I would love to see NYCFC take it. Both but. of these, both of these gentlemen right here, are two of the largest NYCFC fans probably in the city of Boston right now. Well, I don't think that's saying very much, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I would love to see NYCFC take it. Uh, I really don't know though. It's it's going to be very tough for them. Toronto's a great team. Uh, NYCFC has built a team that thrives with as much open space as possible, and then they play on a field with the least open space allowed. So I, I find that to be a very interesting dichotomy Yankee there. Stadium. Yeah, yeah, Yankee Stadium. Stadium. It's wonderful, but it's not really for soccer. It's not meant and for And NYCFC not. has specifically built a team, not intentionally, obviously, but that plays very well on a bigger field, and also they play on a smaller field. Ball. Yeah, well, that's exciting. It fits a football field. It doesn't quite fit a soccer field. Um, the pitch is a very different animal, folks. That's I think, I think that's honestly what could hurt NYCFC the most in this series. Toronto doesn't really have any problem. Anytime they've played in New York, it doesn't seem to be an issue for them having a smaller field. Um, Josh Saunders, great goalie. I'm not sure if he's going to be playing with Johansson starting near the end of the year, but I would assume they'll go back to Saunders. Uh, Saunders has been a spectacular goalie most of the year, but his biggest weakness is that he does not clear the ball very well. He does not pass the ball very well. A lot of times, whenever he gets it, he'll just kick it far and see if his team can get on the end of it. And specifically in Yankee Stadium, that becomes a problem because the ball just goes out of bounds. There is no room to clear the ball as far as you can in Yankee Stadium. Yeah, Yankee Stadium is definitely one of the most interesting surfaces to play in, in MLS. It's tiny, and it makes it very interesting when Patrick Vieira plays his European-influenced style of 
possessive play. Uh, if you watch any of their games, NYC passes the ball around their defenders more than any other team in the league, and it's very interesting to see how they try to make these lanes open up on such a small pitch. I was at the game against FC Dallas, proved to be a incredible game to watch, ended up in a draw 2-2. Steven Mendoza almost securing a stoppage time winner, just missing by about a foot. But NYC passed the ball around. Steven Mendoza gave up the ball in a lot of spots when he was attacking, and Jefferson Mena gave up the ball a lot when he was passing in the back, and that can prove to be very dangerous, especially up against Josie Altidore, Sebastian Javinko, and Michael Bradley. It's a very great team and very difficult to play against. That being said, Toronto has never beaten NYC. NYC has two wins and they have drawn twice, both draws coming this season. I think uh, also the Toronto defense is probably the big question mark. We all know Toronto has a great offense. Uh, Toronto, I mean, as he mentioned, Altador, Giovinco, these are star players, some of the best in the entire MLS on the offensive end. But their defense is a little more questionable, whereas NYCFC's defense has gotten a lot better this year. Uh, I think Saunders is the better goalie. I think Saunders is a better goalie than Bush. Evan Bush makes some spectacular saves, but even more so than Fry, he has a big issue with being consistent. He'll give up some easy goals, even if he does make spectacular stops. So I think, I think the big X factor here is going to be NYCFC's midfield, uh, especially Pirlo and Lampard. Uh, if they can exploit the limited space in Yankee Stadium and then the much more actual space up in Toronto, I think Pirlo and Lampard could lead NYCFC to, the, to a win, and I would pick them very slightly over Toronto for that reason. I think it's going to be a fantastic set of two games. I think Toronto wins the first one, uh, probably conceding one goal to NYC, maybe a second, but I think that they'll take care of business up at BMO Field in Toronto, but when they come back down to New York City, to Yankee Stadium, the atmosphere is going to be absolutely off the charts, and I think New York Partially might because be able... you'll be there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> and I think that NYC might be able to score the one or two goals necessary, perhaps keep a clean sheet, and just narrowly advance to the conference final. I had NYCFC written in, because I know both of you very well, before, before you even started the debate, but... Neither one of you were as confident as I thought you would be. Toronto's good. <laughs> They're very Toronto's good, very especially good. offensively. But the defense could prove to be their weakness and thus their Achilles heel. Let's quickly transition to the West. Colorado Rapids with the bye will potentially play the LA Galaxy. The Rapids are a very good defensive team this year. They have the lowest amount of conceded goals in the league. They only gave up 32 uh, next lowest was 33, but if you discredit the game against NYC where they let in five, that's a very, very good team. Definitely an outlier there. Oh, yeah. That's uh, the biggest loss they had, one of the biggest losses for such of uh, such the uh, powerful Western Conference teams, and I think that they have a fantastic team. Tim Howard came in from Everton. He's been unbelievable between the sticks and he can prove to be a major difference in this game but I think it's going to be very difficult up against the pure star power that is the LA Galaxy I think maybe over the two legs Colorado might be able to edge out a win but I think it's very unlikely I I would lean towards Colorado in this series I think that uh, they have the better you know overall team uh, Galaxy very dependent on their stars. You've got players like Gerard and Donovan and Dos Santos, but um, you know once you get farther down their roster, I just I don't think they have the depth. Uh, the Rapids, Howard is definitely the better goalkeeper here. Tim Howard, maybe the best goalie in the league right now from the second he came over. I mean, he was one of the better goalies in the Premier League. He was. So, I don't think there's any question that Howard is the better goalkeeper here, and that the Rapids have the better defense. Uh, but you look at the rest of their team. I mean, Jermaine Jones is a great player for America. Uh, and even just some of the their depth players, players who you wouldn't really mention. Sebastian Latou came over from Philly recently, and he was he was a great player in Philly. He's been a great player there. Uh, these are the kind of players who can make a difference. I mean, you've got stars on each side, and they're on the offense for the Galaxy and the defense for the Rapids. So, I mean, the question mark is, can Donovan and the rest of the stars score on Tim Howard? 
And I, I really don't think they can. I don't think they can enough to offset LA's possibly shaky defense. I think that this game is going to be decided 100% on goal difference. I think that each team is probably going to win on their own field. It's just a matter of how many they can score. And that's where I think that the LA, uh, LA Galaxy might have a slight advantage because they've proven that they can win by massive margins. But can they however, score against Tim Howard? However, against such a good defense, I think that even at home, the goals they can score are very limited. And I think that might be what gives Colorado the route through. Colorado will go through to the West Final. Let's go back up to the East real quick. The New York Red Bulls get to Montreal. Well, unless Drogba's back, I don't really see them having much of a shot, to be honest. I think the Red Bulls are too good overall. Too many great players. You've got the stars like Wright Phillips. Uh, but you, uh, and you've Golden got Luis, winner. Yeah, Golden Moot winner edging out David Villa. Um, you've got the players in the back. You've got a great goalie in Robles. I really don't think Montreal, especially without Drogba, I don't think Montreal has much of a shot against New York. Yeah. When talking about the Red Bulls, obviously they had a very rough start to the season. Through their first seven games, they picked up one win and six losses, but they've really turned it around since then. Bradley Wright Phillips has been unstoppable. Leading the Golden Boot race, he beat David Villa by one goal, but he also didn't need any penalties to get up on that mark. He's been phenomenal. If you look at the assist leader, it's also a Red Bull. Sasha Kleschen recently started being called up to the U.S. national team. He's a great player, great at feeding the ball through, especially when you have such an offensive threat as BWP. It's going to be very difficult to stop. They are unbeaten in the last 16 league games, and I think that's going to carry through to the uh, playoffs. I, I think you look at that slow start, that just proves even more that they're ready for this. They they went 1-6 and six to start the season and still came all the way back to get the one seed. Uh, that, I think, you know, in general, people talk about in the playoffs, it's all about getting hot at the right time. Yes. They've been hot since game eight of the regular season, so that, I don't think there's much question here. They're the best team right now. It's not about how you start. It's all about how you finish, especially in a playoff system, and that will set up a New York versus New York Eastern Conference Final to be played over two legs. But let's... Round out the Western Conference Final by placing Dallas against Sporting KC. It's going to be a very good contest. Obviously, Dallas brought home the Supporters' Shield. They definitely earned it. They played their hearts out. They carried through when they needed, and they had every single player on their team step up. And that's what sets them apart from the other teams up in the race. That's what sets them apart from the Red Bulls. That's what sets them apart from Colorado, who came very close to stealing that shield at the last second. They have a great team. However, they picked up a very devastating injury. Mauro Diaz is out, and I think that's what's going to give them a lot of trouble in these playoffs. Regardless, I don't know if Sporting really has the firepower. Uh, Sporting is a great team, but I think uh, FC Dallas is too good defensively. Walker Zimmerman might be the best defender right now in the MLS. The way he's played recently, he's been really spectacular. No relation to Noah Zimmerman. Not that I know of. (laughs) But yeah, Walker Zimmerman is a really spectacular defender. Uh, Dallas, just so good all around. They know what they're doing at every position. And I I really don't think that SKC has the star power to fight with them. I don't think they can score much. Putting FC Dallas through will put the one and two seeds through into the conference finals. Back up to the east, New York against New York. It's bias been... aside. <laughs> yeah. Even bias through. not aside, I don't have much question here. NYCFC never looks good against the Red Bulls. Uh, I think the Red Bulls are too good right now. I think they've got too many great players all around. It's definitely going to be painful for me to watch. I think that NYC has a great team. I think that they might be able to pull off a win at home but I don't think that they're going to be able to stop Red Bull uh, across the Hudson. It's going to be very difficult for them to limit just the pure power of this team. And I think even as good as both sides have been, as, as improved NYC are, they aren't going to make it too far. It's going to be heartbreaking for me, but it's going to be a good series to watch. 
can't wait for it. Yeah, I think it'll be a good fight at Yankee Stadium, but even then, I can't see NYCFC getting much more than a draw. Both city supporters waving the white flag. Not very confident heading into the postseason. <laughs> Over to the West, Colorado against Dallas. This will be interesting. I think it's here where Dallas starts to fall apart. Mauro Diaz, uh, once again, with the injury, he's out. And he's been the one massive player who has set Dallas aside from everybody else. They have great players stepping up. Walker Zimmerman, uh, Zimmerman has been phenomenal. But Diaz has consistently been that one player who's been able to really get everything done. Without him, I think they might falter, especially against such a strong defensive team as the Rapids. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that Zimmerman and the defense are good enough to get them by sporting, but not good enough to get them by Colorado. Colorado is a great all-around team, but with a spectacular defense. Tim Howard, as I mentioned earlier, probably the best goalie in the league right now. Uh, I, I just don't think FC Dallas can score. And even if they play good defense, they're bound to give up a goal, maybe one or two at some point. I don't know if they'll score at all on Tim Howard in this whole series. That puts Colorado through to the MLS Cup against New York Red Bulls. And just a reminder, unlike Liga MX, it is not a two-leg final. It is one game, winner-take-all. 2017 MLS Cup, according to the distance. New York Red Bulls against Colorado. Who takes home the cup? I think in this scenario, Colorado will win it all. Uh, they barely placed above the Red Bulls, so they will be hosting. And I think they have the team to match the firepower that is Bradley Wright Phillips. They can easily subdue attacking power with their defense, and playing at home, that's a massive advantage. Uh, they're going to have more fans out there. They're going to have more determination. And as we've seen over the past 20 years, the Red Bulls just haven't, proven to be a postseason team they've done very very well in the regular season but they just can't finish at the very end I think the Red Bulls are a great team might even be the better team on paper but I don't think they match up very well against the Rapids I think Colorado takes this just having such a great defense against a team that's so reliant on one or two offensive players the Red Bulls have been so reliant on the specific combination of question to Bradley Wright Phillips and the Rapids a team that good on defense if they know which even just two players to watch out for, they can shut them down. And then the Red Bulls are going to have to rely on new players, players who don't get in the lineup all the time, players who aren't relied on most of the time to score. And I don't think they can do that. I don't think they can adjust within just one game, especially on the road without a chance to make it up at home in a second leg. I think that the Rapids' defense is too good. Tim Howard maybe even shuts them out, and Colorado takes home the cup. It's going to be a very good game to watch. I can't wait for it. Can't wait to see how the entire playoff uh, set of games turns out to go. It's going to be fantastic to watch. There's always players who don't seem like they're the ones to step up, but they always come through, even when they're not expected to. Colorado Rapids are going to win the MLS Cup. You heard it here first. Our apologies for the spoiler. But from... <laughs> From this kind of football to American football, Olin, Arian Foster has retired. Yes, he has. You are very disappointed. I am. I'm, you know, injuries caught up to him. He's had a long career. It's been great. Uh, not as man, long as it could have been. This man is the Houston Texans franchise leader in rushing yards, rushing touchdowns, rush yards per game, and total points by a non-kicker. Yeah. Texans legend. Would you like to say a few words? Absolutely. Arian Foster was one of the best players in the league from when he joined the league until just now when he retired. I uh, only played four games this year. Wasn't able to play very much in them uh, with the Dolphins, but his seven years with the Texans were really what he was known for. Uh, averaged over 80 yards per game, just over 85 in his career with the Texans. His best year was in 2010. Uh, he ran for 1,616 yards, 16 touchdowns. Both of those numbers led the league. 101 yards per game, uh, really spectacular numbers there, uh, and he was the Texans' best player when they made the playoffs. They haven't made the playoffs very often in their franchise history. They were stuck in a division with Peyton Manning's Colts from their inception until Peyton Manning finally left, and so in 2011 and 2012, when they were finally able to make the playoffs, they had some quarterback issues. They had quarterbacks getting injured left and right. 
Arian Foster was the one who stepped up. Uh, he had 515 yards in four career playoff games, did everything he could. They won a game each of those years. They relied on him very heavily, 105 t touches in four games. Arian Foster is the Texans' best player in playoff history and probably the best player their team has ever had. Sad to see him go, but congrats on, to Arian Foster on a great career. A stellar career and one that ended far too soon. Four-time Pro Bowler. We'd like to thank everyone who has listened to this episode. Check out our blog. TheDistance.SportsBlog.com. We write articles about everything from all over the world. Check us out on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TheDistance.SportsBlog. You can follow each of us on Twitter, Olin Hayes. My Twitter handle is PurpleHayes37, H-A-Y-E-S. Noah Zimmerman. At L underscore Ninja Cat. And myself at Stretch Newton. If you enjoyed this episode, let your friends know about the show and subscribe for more great content. Before we end things up, we'd like to give out some shout-outs. Noah Zimmerman. Well, in the Premier League, there was a very, very interesting game. Chelsea shutting down Manchester United. Sorry about that, John. But I'd like to give a shout-out to Pedro, scoring 30 seconds into the game. Yeah, there was a bit of defensive mix-ups on that play, but he did well to get the ball past the hair, and that was a very good play to really set Chelsea running and to really disrupt Manchester United, setting them up for the 4-0 route. Don't worry, it's okay. Manchester United won today against Manchester City. one nothing in the EFL Cup. But that's all that matters, all isn't say. it? Owen Hayes, who's your shout-out? Uh, I'm going to stay in the Premier League. Shout-out to Riyad Mahrez. Leicester had their extreme Cinderella story last year. It doesn't look like they're going to repeat this year. But Riyad Mahrez is still going strong. He's scoring goals in the Premier League, scoring goals in the Champions League. Leicester undefeated. In fact, they've won all of their games in the Champions League so far. So who knows? They may finish 13th in the Premier League and win the Champions League. Anything could happen with Leicester City. Put nothing past them. My shout-out straight to Lonnie Chisenhall of the Cleveland Indians, representing Carteret County, North Carolina. So spectacularly. We're all very proud of him. And we really appreciate his business at the North River Golf Club. <laughs> We're going the distance, but we'll come back around very soon.